Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Hey, uh, we're going to open our Bibles in just a second um, to, or you can right now, to the book of Jonah. Um, that's after the book of Obadiah. If that helps. Anybody? No? Right before Micah? Yeah? Um, true story, when I was a kid, I had to learn a song to memorize uh, all those minor prophets. And uh, still, when I go looking for it, I still have to sing it in my head to, uh, to do that. So if that's you and want to do that, that's fine. If you're a user of the Bible app and want to cheat, you go right ahead. That's perfectly fine by us. Uh, Jonah is where we're going to be. You can also, on the Bible app, find our live event and track along with the sermon notes uh, in addition to the scriptures and all that other stuff. So uh, we're in Advent here. And I uh, got my handy-dandy electric lighter. Uh, we're in Advent, and um, the, uh, the, the idea of pausing for Advent is just to take these themes and let us um, think about them for a week at a time. And, and as the buildup happens, as we get towards Christmas, um, we, we build this up. These kind of things kind of go rolling inside of us to, to build up. And so during this particular season, uh, what we've done is taken um, characters in the Old Testament and just kind of studied their lives and saw how God speaks to us on e these particular themes. So the first one um, was hope, and we uh, talked about hope from Noah. And the reason we talked about hope from Noah is because uh, Noah's culture was full-on chaos, Uniquely, um, or maybe, maybe say it this way, especially marked by violence and immorality, those two things, violence and immorality. And the reason why we talked about hope in the midst of uh, Noah's chaotic culture is because simply uh, God saw the violence and the immorality and still stepped in and wanted to do something still stepped in and wanted to make something right, still stepped in and wanted to use someone to display his goodness to the world. And we take hope from that because if God did it once in Noah's day, in a culture that might still be marked by violence and immorality, we can still trust God to step into our world and do something. He did in Noah's day. He did in Jesus' day. And God willing, he will do it in our day as well. So the second one was um, Joseph. At the end of the book of Genesis, we have this 14-chapter uh, expose on the life of Joseph and how uh, God uses Joseph um, to bless the world. And in doing so, he takes him through some really uh, profound hardships. And yet, what does it say? God was with him. God was with him. God was with him. God had his eye fixed on him. He was with him. And because God was with him, Joseph in the prison, uh, at the bottom of the pit, sold into slavery, falsely accused, all of that kind of stuff, Joseph could remain at peace. As the world spins up, as things go nuts around us, we can remain at peace. How? By sitting on a mountain and meditating and just pretending it's all not very real at all? No by keeping our eyes fixed on God because he has his eyes fixed on us. Peace. Last week, Tyler preached and um, talked about joy from the life of David. David, uh, shepherd boy, experienced great victory, experienced um, some really bad failures as well. Still, though, God used him. And Part of the story of David was 
um, his life was consistently marked by joy. He believed God and his life was consistently uh, marked by joy. And we have the opportunity to follow even a better king than David. And then today, we light um, the final candle, the candle of love. And we want to talk about the prophet Jonah. And the reason why we're going to talk about Jonah and love is because Jonah's like the anti-type of everything that you want to be. <laughs> That's what I'm telling you. And so we'll do some compare and contrast here, mostly contrast. And uh, the, the idea, well, let me just pause here. If we could just break down the story very, very briefly, and maybe we can have some audience participation here. Um, Jonah was a prophet of God, and he was sent somewhere. Does anybody remember the city where he was supposed to go? Does anybody? Nineveh, okay? Nineveh, not a good place, not nice people. They weren't friends. Uh, he was sent to Nineveh, and he was supposed to preach to them. Um, and he did exactly, kiddos, look up here. Jonah did exactly what God said, right? No, he didn't. He didn't. He ran away from God. And we'll, we'll read about that here in just a second. Um, but God got a hold of him uh, through swallowing, swallowing him in a fish. And um, it was in that moment that Jonah uh, thought his story was over, which we'll talk about in just a second. Thought his story was over. And then God, this is one of my favorite verses, probably in the Bible. So, but God caused the fish to vomit him onto the beach. Isn't that great? So kiddos, you can go home and be like, dude, you know what I learned about today? Fish vomit. Awesome. So fun. So uh, fish vomit it is. Jonah goes and preaches. And, uh, and, and most, uh, not, again, I, I said this in the 830 service. I need to correct myself. It's not most. There is enough that you call it a substantive amount of children's books. When they tell the story of Jonah, they do Jonah, run, disobey, fish, vomit, um, and then priest in Nineveh, and uh, Nineveh repents. And they, they finish the story right there. Because that's the way you want to end a kid's story is on a high note, right? But Jonah is no hero. And so we'll look and see here. Those are the first three chapters of Jonah. But the problem is Jonah has four chapters. And we'll actually see the greatest contrast between Jonah and Jesus in chapter 4. So here we go. I'll tell you three things about Jonah. And we'll talk about Jesus. Do the compare and contrast thing. You ready? Here we go. Uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Now. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid a fare, went aboard to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So number one, Jonah, he was sent. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Go, preach to Nineveh. No, they're not nice people. They're not nice people. No, they got some bad stuff happening. Go and preach to them anyway. He was sent. Uh, that having said, he did not choose to obey. Um, kiddos, what did he do instead? He ran away. But he didn't run away from God's calling. That's not how the Bible talks about it. He didn't run away from a ministry opportunity. He didn't run away from a commandment. He didn't run away from any of those things. How does the Bible say it here? Look again. It says it twice in verse 3 and then again uh, at the beginning of verse 3 and then again at the end of verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish. What? From the presence of the Lord. He was going with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. What, what was he running from? He was running from God's presence. 
He ran from God's presence. I say that to say, church family, listen, do not live in the deceit that, hey, God, I know I hear you clearly on this, but really I want to do it my way, and so I'm going to do it my way, and I'll stay really close to you. You and I do not have the kind of authority, nor do we have the kind of gravitas, the oomph in our world to say, God, hey, thanks, but no thanks on the advice part. I really appreciate that, but I'll stay close to you. Anytime we choose to disobey, we are going to Tarshish. We are looking for a way to get out of town and go to Tarshish. And here's the thing. Um, You'll notice here, we'll see it a couple of different places. Uh, We'll read it some more here in just a second. But you'll notice the word down. Jonah goes down to find a ship. He goes down to Joppa. And then once he gets on the ship, we'll see it in just a second. Where does he go? He goes down into the belly of the ship. And then once things go chaotic and sideways at the end of chapter 1, where does he go? He gets tossed overboard and goes down into the... Do you get the idea? The storyteller here is, is making a point. When we run away from the, God's presence, we find ourselves spiraling, going down and down and down. Our obedience pulls us away from God's uh, presence. Secondly, his disobedience did not just cost him. Look at verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship uh, into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down. There it is. Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, laid down, was fast asleep. How he slept through that, who knows? Verse 6. The captain came and said to him, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give thought to us. It may not perish. It, it wasn't just Jonah that his disobedience caused. It, the mariners, the sailors, what did they have to do with the stuff that they were carrying? They had to jettison. This is how they made their money. And they didn't have an insurance. Hello, Geico. I, I really like your commercials. And by the way, I need to file a claim because it was a great sea, because it was a profit, and uh, we lost all of our cargo. Can you uh, get that claim started? For, they didn't have that. If they showed up without the stuff, guess who had to pay? They did. So it didn't just cost Jonah. His disobedience didn't just cost Jonah. Church family, listen. Our disobedience doesn't just cost us. It doesn't. There is no such thing as just a little private sin. Ever. Jonah ran away from God's presence. Tarshish sounded a lot better. In the book of 2 Chronicles, um, Solomon, it says Solomon would bring ships from Tarshish every three years. There was gold and silver and peacocks and apes. If you don't want to go to Nineveh, might as well go where there are peacocks and apes, yeah? Shiny stuff, flashy stuff, fun stuff, distracting stuff but it was away from the presence of the Lord. He was going down and down and down. Second thing. Eventually, Jonah fesses up, I'm a prophet. They, he said, just, just throw me overboard and uh, the, the, it'll be okay. They're like, no, dude, we're not doing that. So they started rowing. It didn't get them anywhere. Finally, they're like, God, please forgive us for what we're about to do. Off he goes. At the end of chapter 1, look at verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. 
They threw him overboard, and then a fish swallowed him. Um, so w- what we have here is that three days brought salvation. That's, that's the thing I want you to lodge in your mind. Three days brought salvation. In the belly of the fish, three days and three nights. Um, chapter two is Jonah's prayer. He says, man, I went overboard, and I started going down. I got so far down, I was seeing the root of the mountains. I don't know how far down that is, but that seems like pretty far down. Somewhere along the way, the fish swallowed him, and then look at verse 10 of chapter 2. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and here's our, here it is, kiddos, just underline this part. And it vomited Jonah upon the dry land. I love that. Then the word of the Lord, verse, I'm continuing on, chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city. Call out against it uh, the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' walk across Uh, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and then he cried out. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh, don't miss this, the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. And then he talks about how the king did as well. And then look at verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them. And he did not do it. Three days led to salvation. Um, let's start with Jonah's part. Uh, despite what Jonah thought, the story wasn't over. If you're in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a sea, which I've never had this moment when I'm running from God and been in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a sea, uh, but if you have that moment and you get tossed overboard, what is your thought? This is the period at the end of my sentence right here. I am done. I'm gone. I hope they're okay, but I'm toast. There's nothing I'm going to hold on to. There's no way that the waves won't overwhelm me. Indeed, Jonah talks about going down, going down, going down. He thought his story was over, and all of a sudden, a really large fish swallows him up. If I'm Jonah, maybe you feel differently about this. If I'm Jonah, I'm going down, I'm going down, I'm going down, I get thrown into the sea, uh, and I'm like, okay, this is it. And then a really large fish swallows me up. You know what I'm thinking? Oh, no, this is really it. You know what I mean? Like, this is, I'm done. I, this is forever. I'm toast. The story wasn't over. I say that to say some of us have made choices that have taken us down and down and down. And just about the time that you thought, okay, this is the end of the sentence, this is it. Something else bad happens, and you're like, oh, no, no, this is really it. And yet Jonah's story wasn't over church family, for some of you, you've gone down and down and down. But your story very well may not be over. You're not the one who gets to write it. God is. You're not the one who gets to put the period at the end of the sentence. God is. It may involve some fish vomit, but God is the one who's in charge. Three days led to salvation. The next part here, he reluctantly obeyed. And when, when I say reluctantly, this is important. Uh, number one, you see, you see it in his uh, kind of attitude on the front end. He walks three, day, uh, three days journey across. He walks into Nineveh. He's like, yet 40 days and this place is burning down, baby. That doesn't quite, I mean, like, you know, like, maybe that's not the full message that God wanted him to proclaim. Maybe like, hey, Repent. God may have mercy on you. I hope not, but maybe. I mean, you know, uh, but you see it on the front end, and then you see it on the back end. He reluctantly obeyed. On the front end, you can tell his message on the back end here, and this will lead us to this last part. But chapter 4, verse 1, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. 
They repented. Jonah got mad. He reluctantly obeyed. And that leads to the last comment on Jonah. Um, Jonah, he had, uh, he had an anger in him. And in his anger was because God uh, loved people. <laughs> like he, he, he wanted God. He showed anger, Jonah did, because of God's love. Now, this is the densest. There's six, um, really seven occurrences of the word anger here in about 12 verses. This is the densest um, collection of that particular word about anger in the Old Testament right here. Dense, density right here. And, and so I, did, I just, he showed anger because of God's love. Verse one, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was angry. And then look at, look at why he was angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, this is verse two. Is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life for me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Okay, just so we're tracking with the logic. Jonah goes, he preaches. God has mercifully saved him from the sea, through the fish. He goes and he preaches. The people repent. Jonah gets mad, and his rationale for being mad is, God, when I was back there, before I did the Tarshish thing, like, you, I told you, I know that you're merciful, I know that you're gracious, I know that you're compassionate, I know that you're slow to anger, I know that you have steadfast love, and that when people uh, repent and turn from their sins and believe you, like, you, you don't do the disaster that you proclaimed. I know all of those things, and that's why I didn't want to go. So I'm telling my, this story to my nine-year-old this week. We're talking about it. She goes, that's weird, dad. Jonah showed anger because of God's love. And here's the thing. He did not like the ones that God loved. And that was his issue. They were foreigners of a different religion that Israel had had some conflict with in the past. Foreigners of a different religion that Israel had conflict with in the past. Foreigners, one more time, just foreigners of a different religion that people, his country uniquely had had conflict with in the past. God, I know what kind of God you are. It's just like you to show those people mercy. And I don't like it. That's why I wanted to flee. Can you imagine give, being given that assignment? Hey, go preach to some foreigners who are of a different religion with whom you've had conflict in the past. Can you imagine such a thing? You know why? Because we've done it before. And, and it's now, church family, instead of being sent there, they came here. This is, this is like the parentheses, the, the, just parentheses. Like, 
if, if we were to travel overseas to share the gospel with others who are foreign and of a different religion with whom we might have had conflict in the past, we, we would do the exact same things that we're getting to do right here. Kids and cultural stuff and English lessons and these kind of things. Close parentheses. Like God brought the mission field here. That's a whole different sermon for a different day. Jonah didn't like the ones that God loved. Hey, let's church fan, let's, let's do the work to make sure that we're loving the people that God loves. Yes? Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Let's do the work to make sure that we're loving the people that God loves. Yes? Yes. Otherwise, we're Jonah. Second thing I'll say, just skip down to verse 9. God had caused a plant to grow. A worm came and ate the plant. Um, Jonah, excuse me, God says to Jonah in verse 9, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? He said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. That's twice now. He could have died, by the way, when he got thrown into the sea, but God spared him. And now he's like, just kill me. Anger wasn't his, Jonah's anger wasn't just misplaced. It was also revelation about what was going on in his heart. And church family, you just need to hear, like, that is when we don't love the people God loves. That's something for us. For Jonah, it was both prejudice and perspective. It was those two P words. Prejudice, they're not like me, God, and I don't like them. And perspective, you are supposed to, through us as God's people, bless the world. I don't want you to do that for them. He just lost all perspective. So that, that's Jonah. And God takes him behind the woodshed. And possibly one of my favorite closing lines of an entire uh, book in the Bible was like, Jonah, don't you care about them? He's like, not so much. And he closes. The, the very last phrase in, in the book of Jonah is, I mean, there's all these people and there's cows. Don't you care about the cows? If God has to get down to cows to prove a point to his people, just how far have we gone from reflecting his heart to the world? So let's take Jonah, set him here, and then let's use the same template to talk about Jesus. If you, for just a moment, flip over to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, fourth book in the New Testament. New Testament. Here we go. Jesus, in contrast to Jonah, was also sent. In comparison, he was sent, but in contrast, look at what happened. Chapter 1, verse 14. And the word, that's Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, that, that phrase right there is a, a crazy cool word. Uh, made his tabernacle, as some of your translations may have. I think Eugene Peterson in the message had moved into our neighborhood. Jesus left heaven, house for sale down the road. He picked that one up. He moved into your neighborhood, my neighborhood, our neighborhood. And he says he was full of grace uh, and truth. And we've seen his glory. Glory is the only uh, son from the father, full of grace and truth. So when Jesus came in, it was full of grace and truth. Those two things together, not one or the other, those two things together. Not this sometimes and that sometimes, full of grace and full of truth. Two arms wrapped around all of us, grace 
and truth. He, he was sent, Jesus was, and moved into our neighborhood. And um, whereas Jonah's disobedience didn't just cost him, Jesus' obedience cost him. Because he became, Frank said it earlier when we were reading the scripture, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He was sent and he moved into our neighborhood and obeyed what God had for him to do. Secondly, uh, the three days led to salvation. Three days led to salvation. In case you aren't up to speed on the story, I'll just briefly touch this, um, that Jesus came and lived on the earth. Um, and there was a, a, a political problem matched with a socio-religious problem of the day. And those two things intersected to put Jesus on the cross for you and for me. But those were just the earthly powers. The real reason Jesus went to the cross was to bring salvation for us. What was to um, carry our sins. And we'll read about it here in just a second. But three days he spent in the grave and then he rose victoriously. Three days brought salvation. The disciples, his followers, when they saw him crucified and they saw him dead and they saw him in the tomb, they too thought the story was over. Church family, hope is ours because the story isn't over. Peace is ours because the story isn't over. Joy is ours because the story isn't over. And we get to love the people God loves because the story wasn't over. Disciples thought the story was over. We know something better. And then look here. Verse 16, and from his fullness, we have all received and grace upon grace. So just don't miss that. Like not a little bit of grace, grace upon grace. This is the equivalent of, does anybody else do this? When they say a heaping teaspoon of sugar or something like that, you get the teaspoon and you're like, that's not heaping. You stick it back in there and try to get some more. You're like, that's still not. And you do your best to get that. And then you throw it in and then you're like, but it's got to be heaping. So you go ahead and scoop some more. This is grace upon grace. God looks and goes, man, I see you people. Yeah, you need some grace. Let's go back. Grace upon grace on our lives is ours because of Jesus. Three days led to salvation. And what did that look like? Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, not everybody did, but to all who did receive him, those who believed in his name, just like the Ninevites, just like the people who didn't know God from a goat, but here they are believing God and turning from their sin. And so God didn't um, bring the disaster that he had promised. They believed God to those who did receive him. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of the flesh, nor of the will of man, nor of the will, but of God. They were born of God. Listen, you and I, we get to receive this grace upon grace and become God's children. Jesus was sent in three days, led to salvation. Last thing, this is actually over in John's letter, 1 John chapter 4, uh, verse 9. Listen to this. First John chapter four, verse nine. <clears throat> in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. You, you want to know how God made the magic happen. Here it is. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. God, Jesus was sent. How, why? Because of love. And instead of being angry, showing anger, because he didn't like those that God loved, Jesus took anger. He took the wrath of God for you and for me. This is love. 
In this, the love of the God, uh, in this, the love of God was made manifest. God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. And then look at verse 10. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus took anger. Why? Because of God's love. He was willing to endure the wrath that God um, paid, excuse me, that had to be paid. Jesus not only settled our account, he paid the debt that was against us, but also then he also, by his death, it's propitiation, which is a big Bible word, but it means he paid the debt, which is amen and amen, but he also purchased favor for you and for me. So we not only have legal standing before God, but we also have profound um, relational standing with God. We are his kids. He was sent. He was offered up as a sacrifice. And he satisfied not only the legal demands, but also the relational needs of your life and my life. You did not wake up this morning. You did not wake up this morning unloved by God. How do I know that? Look at Jesus. Look at his death. Look at his resurrection. Look at what he has done for you. The reason why we set in contrast Jesus and Jonah. Jonah got mad because of God's love. Jesus took God's anger upon himself and the wrath that was justly due to you and to me. And he, through through doing so, demonstrated God's love for us. And if you've never put your trust in Jesus, I want, you to, I want you to hear me say, you woke up today loved by God. It was demonstrated in Jesus because he took, he paid the penalty for us and he purchased favor for God, for us with God. And you, you can receive that today. And so I want to invite you to ponder that. If you've never put your trust in Christ, you're not a Christian I want you to know that Christmas says God loves you. He sent Jesus that we might live, might really live. If you are a Christian, man, I want you to hear me say there is no greater message for you to walk out of here with than the baby becomes the Savior. The, the one who squeaked and squealed and cried at Christmas time, wept over us and took the pain for us endured the cross for us that we could, he would rise again victoriously and we could be God's children. Receive him today. Let me pray for us. We'll have a song of response. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask over all of these folks and everybody watching online that there would be um, a sense in which the truth of that just settles down into us. You gave Jesus for love. You sent Jesus out of your love for us. He became propitiation for us. He took the wrath, satisfying it, and made us right with you so that we could be your children because of love. And so over every person here, over every person watching online, God, may those words ring true. For those of us who do follow Jesus, are Christians, I pray that, man, it would, um, it would shape how we think about our day, how we think about Tuesday, how we think about Friday and Christmas Eve and Christmas morning, how we think about those things. For those who are not Christians, God, I pray that today that message would sink down in them so that they could come to you. They would be drawn to you. We're loved today because you loved us first. And prove that love in Jesus. 
So help us to love others the way that you loved us. That's what I ask for us in Christ's name. Everybody said, amen, amen.